We are now going to continue our discussion on reshaping our thoughts so we might become more like Jesus in our thinking. Today we're going to look at reshaping your view of God. You know, we've talked about this, we're going to continue talking about this, and I hope you really take this to heart, that what we think changes our actions. The way we think changes our lives. And so therefore it's important as children of the Most High not just simply say, I give my life to Jesus and now I can go to heaven. No, no, no. But to be transformed in the way we think. That we might be transformed and begin to think like Christ himself. And so the question then becomes, how can we reshape our view of ourselves? That's important. That we will reshape ourselves in light of who Jesus says we are, who God says we are. What he says about you and what he says who you truly are. So our focus in the last few weeks has been on the word repentance and trying to Take back that word repent because so often in our world today we see repentance as something judgmental and, and kind of foreign. Oh, we, oh my. And we have a tendency to approach people when it comes to bringing forth the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is supposed to be good news. We have a tendency to put emphasis on the judgment of God. Where well, I understand God's judgment is there, but the idea of repentance, true repentance means to turn about, to do a U-turn, to see things differently than we once did. And I think really when it comes down to it, the repentance is probably one of the most beautiful words that we can imagine because it says you can change your life. It says you can turn around. And so this week we want to look at our view of God. Reshaping our view of God because I think that's extremely important. So often we come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, but we've got a different mindset of who God truly is. And the reason why it's so important that we reshape our view of God, well, because God's determining so much of our lives. And for us to understand who He is, well, it helps us to understand how He looks at our problems. And then it also affects how we determine, how our future is determined, and how our relationships are determined, and the way we're actually going to ultimately run our, our lives. When I ask you right up front, my question is this, when we talk about our vision of God, what comes to your mind when you think about God? How important is your, your, your knowledge, your vision, your image of God? Well, let's start off with the obvious. It's Psalm 145, verse 3, the text we started off this morning with. It simply says this, God, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. And so I guess we should start off right up front and say, listen, no one can measure the greatness of God. And if someone says, oh, but Pastor Bob, I figured them out. I got it all figured out. Then whatever you figured out is in God. Let me tell you right now. Because our human minds, well, we can't figure it out. We can never figure out the graciousness of God. Why? Because He's God. And we're not. And as I said in the very beginning of this morning, there's no way in this world that I'm going to try to uh, <laughs> teach you and show you everything that you need to know about this immeasurable God. I'd be crazy to even attempt that. You'd be even crazier for me to try. It just isn't going to happen. But what I'm going to do this morning is hope I can pass along some of the things that God has told, him, told us about Himself. And I really hope and pray that it grips our hearts. And one of the things that we need to come to grips with in our lives is how we, got, how we get our view of God. Where does our view of God come from? Been in ministry for a while, and one of the things I noticed is a whole lot of people have their view of God that's based upon their circumstances. That's a mistake. 
because circumstances are always changing. And folks conclude this, that if I'm having some good things happen in my life, good circumstances at this point, then God is a good God. But if I run into some bad circumstances, then all of a sudden God must be a bad God. Or we go one step further and say, you know, maybe he doesn't even exist. Things just kind of happen as they're going to happen. Kind of like karma. That chance. Well, I'll tell you what, if, you're, if you view, if your view of God is based upon circumstances, then those circumstances, <laughs> that view's got to change. Because your circumstances year by year change. Thinking this, I thought this through. If you are basing your view of God on circumstances, it's like basing your view of baseball on the first time, first game you went out. You go out to play base, go out to watch that game, and it's rained out. I mean, it's the first inning, the first pitch is there, and all of a sudden it's rained out and no longer. It's the first inning, first pitch, and that's it, it's over. As a result of that, you walk away from baseball saying, it stinks. It's wet and it's cold and it doesn't last. I hate the game. Well, you only were there for a few moments. And yet you're, you're taking that experience, that circumstance that occurred, and now that you've developed your whole view of baseball based upon that. And I tell you, if we base, if we base our view of God just on circumstances, we're going to miss out on who God truly is. Who he really is. But here's the good news. We don't have to guess when it comes to who our God is. We don't have to base it on circumstances that are in or outside our control. Because God Almighty has told us all about himself. He has given us his word. And he's given us his word so that we can know who he is. He's revealed to each one of us who he is and how he wants to work in our lives. And based upon that, I want to spend some time this morning and look at six ways to change our lives when it comes to reshaping our view of, view of God. And in fact, when it's all said and done, this message might ultimately become a message of assurance. It's not designed that way, per se, but it may just be that way when you're talking about who our God truly is, His plan and purpose for your life. So, when you begin to change your focus about who God is, well, it's going to change your life and the direction of your life. So let's get going on this. Six ways to change your life by changing the way you think about God. Number one, accept His unconditional love. Now that's a tricky one, this unconditional love. Unconditional love. Let me explain it to us this way. What does it mean for God's love to be unconditional? Number one, God's unconditional love means that it's available to everyone, everywhere, at any time. That's important. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what's in your background. His love is unconditional. He takes us where we are. takes us as we are. Amen. Unconditional love. Yet, love is also conditional. It's conditioned on receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's conditioned about a desire to, present, uh, to pursue the wisdom of God. When you're pursuing the wisdom of God, you're pursuing Jesus Christ the Son. And you're learning what is right and wrong. And God tells us very clearly, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. So there is a condition to love. And that is for us to pursue Christ. The wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. To love what He loves 
and to hate what he hates so that the word of God is now manifested in our lives. Amen. That's important. So when we talk about the unconditional love of God, it is available to everybody anywhere at any time. Amen. And we thank God for that. You don't have to do a thing for it. Amen. It's there available. But it is conditioned upon your desire to pursue Christ's likeness. Can you say amen? Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we just get into unconditional love and we apply it to everything and anywhere and it becomes an excuse for us to do our own thing. And that is damnable in our lives. Can you say amen? When I talk about unconditional love, we're talking about something you cannot earn. An unconditional love is something that you cannot, you cannot work for. It's a gift of God. That's what the scripture tells us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. This is not, it is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works. Why? So you couldn't walk around boasting about what you have done. And God wants to give you that gift. A gift into your life. A gift that you cannot earn. He said, I want to give you. I want to give you that gift of peace. I want to give you a gift of grace. I want to give you my love. And once you will accept that gift, he says, it'll transform your life. If you really mean it, and if you really take hold of it, if you really certainly pursue the wisdom of God through Christ Jesus, then it'll transform your life. Then there'll be a peace that flows into your life that you've never had before. Because all of a sudden you realize it's a gift that God is willing to give. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But sometimes, sometimes we fall away from that peace because we stop treating it as a gift. But you pay attention to this. We stop treating it as a gift and now it becomes an expectation. Let me explain. Have you ever received a gift that really wasn't a gift? had strings attached. Let's say, for instance, you're working at your job and you're doing a real, really good job and this whole end of the year, the, folk, the boss comes up and says, you did a great job. Here is a brand new car, business car for you to drive. Or here's a bonus for you because of what you did all year long. You were a top salesman. Here it is. Here's your reward. In fact, you know what? We're going to give you another week's worth of vacation. Because of how good you were, what you have done. Now we expect that you do a little bit more next year. Let me tell you something. What they gave you, was it really a gift? No. It was an expectation. And you better live up to it. And you better do better. Or guess what? All those things can come back. They'll just take them back. Because you didn't live up to their expectation. So it really wasn't a gift. Well, sometimes that's the way we look at our God. We don't mean to, but we do. Sometimes we turn His gifts into an expectation on our part. We're praying for healing, and He heals us, and we say, okay, now I owe God something. How many times is it, God, if you will do this in my life, then I will do that. Really? You think God Almighty is going to answer your prayer because you made a promise that you're going to carry, He's going to gain something from healing you or fulfilling some kind of desire? Really? You don't owe God a thing. 
It's by His grace, His love that He has reached out to you. But in our tendency, we all do this. We all feel like if someone gives something to us, then we owe them. That's just part of our nature, part of the fallen world. You've given this, you've been nice to me, so therefore, I want to pay it back. Don't we do that naturally? And as a result of that, we apply that to our relationship with our God. He has given us great grace and mercy and forgiveness and healing, and so therefore we think, gee, you know what? I've got to do something to pay God back for all that He's done for me. And when you have that kind of attitude, you lose peace. Because it's no longer a relationship that is free. Now you're worried about what you can do. And if God does something else for you, whoa, I'm really behind the eight ball. I've got to really catch up. There's things I've got to do. And in fact, the entire book of Galatians, Paul writes to the Galatians there. He says, hey, look what he says. Basically, he's saying, you guys are foolish. What are you doing? You've taken God's gift, and now you're trying to earn it again, something that you could never have earned to begin with. It was a gift, and now somehow you're trying to pay back? Stop, he says. Recognize it was God's gift, God's gift of love. Amen. Can you say amen? Folks, this is extremely important when it comes to our relationship with our Lord and reshaping our thinking when it comes to our relationship with our Lord. Amen? And amen. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. It says this, and this is important. Keep your lives free from all the love of money and be content with what you have because the Lord has said what? Read it with me. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. He said never. I'm never going to abandon you. Now I started thinking, God's never is different than our never. Think about this for a minute. <laughs> Have you ever made a promise to keep something? A promise that you'll never do that again? Have you been able to keep it? I mean, you want to, you like to, it's important for you to do it. But I don't know, something comes up and that never just is never fulfilled. You know why? Because Thanksgiving comes up. Then there's Christmas. There was a diet that you were on. You were never going to eat any more sweets, but then those holidays come up, and you know what? Those pies, the cookies, the candy, everything that's there, it's like, oh. Well, you know, after the holidays, then I'll go back to my diet, you know? And then January 1st comes along, and we say, I'm never going to eat sugar again. How's that working for you? Or how about this one? I promise, I will never be like my mother. Or I'll never be like my father, ever. And then one day, you're walking by the mirror, you look and you go, ah, it's mom or it's dad, I can't believe it. And you want to beat yourself up because you said you would never be like him. And guess what? You're a spitting image of him. I said I would never buy a minivan. Not only did I buy one, I raced it. Although I, I, I try to get out of it by saying it's not mine, it's Angie. Although I'm paying for it, so I guess it's mine. Never. See, our never means the same. does not mean the same as God's never. It's different. Why? Because He's all-powerful. He's eternal. And when an eternal, all-powerful God says never, He accomplishes that never. He carries it out. Amen. God said, I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. 
I will never. And he meant it. Amen. Now I realize there's a couple groups of people when it comes to the love of God. One group finds themselves saying, yes, I believe in God's love. I believe it's God's love. I believe it's there. It's absolutely true. I'm convinced of his love. It cannot be earned. And you've known that for a long time. But still down deep inside, you feel like there's just a need to rack up a few more points with God. A few more points. He's got to get, you know, brother, sister, they're doing one. I've got to get a little bit better than they do. You need to rethink that. You need to recognize that regardless of who we are or where we are, we're all in desperate need of God's grace. We're all in, we're all in a level playing, playing field at the cross. We all need His love. And none of us are above or beyond anyone else. We are equally and desperately need, in need of His grace. And so I want you just to stop for a moment. And I just want you to see yourself as gloriously, a uh, glorious, pra- proud recipient of God's grace. Amen. Then there's the other group. The other group that looks at themselves and says, there's no way in this world, I understand God's a God of love and He gave me the promises, etc., but I, I'm unlovable. He could not, how could He love? He doesn't, just doesn't know enough about me. I can never be loved by God. And so as a result, we kind of keep our distance a little bit from Him and it affects our worship. It affects our prayer life. You can never be loved. If you only knew. I think you need to rethink that. Amen. Because God's love for you is not based upon your circumstances. It's not based on what you have done or what you think you might do. It's not. It's based upon what He has done. And God is saying this, I want to pour out my love into your life. And I understand you might feel like you're the worst of all sinners. Well, guess what? Join the crowd because the Apostle Paul felt the same way. He felt he was. And the bottom line is we all screwed up. We've all messed up somewhere in our life. And you know what? We're going to do it tomorrow too. Or maybe even today. Today is still young. But God says, I, I want to love you. I want to love you as you are where you are. I want to love you. I want to, my love is unconditional to everyone who will. Amen. Oh, that how, can that, how that can begin to reshape your view of God. And that view of God is reshaped, it will begin to change your life. Amen. So the first thing you need to do is to really to accept the everlasting love of our God. And the second thing you need to do is appreciate His holiness. When we say that God is holy, we're saying that God makes no mistakes. That He is completely perfect and pure. And there's not a, a trace of evil in anywhere in His character. There's not a, 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 a speck of selfishness in His life. In fact, I'll tell you what, God's holiness even goes farther than just to say He's holy. There's, listen, He's also unique in His greatness. And nobody, nobody can, there's nobody that compares to his greatness or his perfection. For Samuel says this, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. And when we talk about his holiness, it literally means that when God promises to do something, you can take it to the bank. When God says he's going to do something, amen, he puts his name on it and puts his stamp of approval on it. And listen, and God no way in the world wants his name smeared. 
You can count on what he says he'll do. Psalm 33, verse 21 says, In him our hearts rejoice. For what? We trust in his holy name. I think that alone gives us reason to celebrate and to appreciate his holiness. Anything that is holy is separate from the unholy. Can we agree with that? See, by definition, anything that is perfect doesn't have anything imperfect in it. All right, go with me on this. You're going on a hike, you know, and it's a hot summer day, and you're out there cruising there, you know, maybe jogging a little bit, and you come back from your run, and you're hot and you're thirsty, and they come up to you and I say, are you hot and are you thirsty? You say, duh. Yeah, and I say, can I, can I offer you some nice, clean, clear water? Cool water. Because you're thirsty. And you're going to say, oh, you know, you're a godsend. Thank you. I said, but wait just one moment. There is, there is one little thing now. It's not big. It's not a whole lot. But there's, there's this little bit of flesh-eating bacteria. But it's just a little bit. Would you drink it? Not at all. Why? It would be absurd for you to drink it. It's contaminated. It's been polluted. It was good at one point, but now now it's bad. It's impure. So you cannot separate. I cannot separate God from His holiness. I cannot have a holy God have anything unholy. And because of who I am, I am separated from God because of my unholiness. Have you ever come to your life where you felt like, you know, God was far from you? You felt like, whoa. You felt like, you know, God is he's so perfect and so pure and so holy and so right. I can't get, I can't go to him. I can't be in his presence. I, I'll shrivel up. I'll die. I don't understand. I, I'm wicked in my, I don't want to be that way, but I'm flesh. I don't do things. I can't live up to, no way I'm going to avoid him. Have you ever felt that way? And you need to hear God's solution. Jesus Christ who took all of your imperfections all of your guilt all of your shame all of your yesterday all of your sin your disobedience and he put it on himself and he destroyed it by his death so we might gain new life that's the reason why God you know, he said, why did Jesus have to die on the cross you know, I mean it's kind of a weird concept when you think about it He went on the cross to destroy our unholiness and our sin. So that we would have the opportunity to accept the incredible gift of God's grace and His love and His mercy. Where God now can say, listen, not because of anything you have done, not because you stood out from the crowd, but now because of what you've done and how you focused upon my son, Jesus Christ. And you have committed now to become more like Him. And you recognize who you are. You humbly come before me. Guess what? I classify you now as holy. You're set apart for me. And that's awesome. It's awesome. You're now in position to reverse the curse. To, in the position to possess, to, to possess Jesus. To, to, to grant wisdom. Getting his wisdom of what is right and what is wrong. And I can use you in a mighty way. I can purify you. See, God's presence isn't something we're supposed to look at at a distance. He made a way to purify us so we can enter into His presence. Here's what He said. And I went to the Good News translation because I like what it said here. 
I am the high and holy God who lives forever. I live in a high holy place. But notice this, but. I also live with people who are. Now listen to this. He lives with people who are what? Humble and repentant. A people who want to change the way they think. They want to do a U-turn in their lives. Amen. A people who are humble and repentant so that they, so that I can what? Restore. Now, the only way he can restore us to have confidence and hope is that we would come to him as humble and repentant. Wow. Because his desire is what? To live with us and to restore our confidence and our hope. Let me tell you something, folks. If you have been or you know someone who's been kind of standing afar from our God, hanging back and just observing God from a distance, Sometimes we see it in our worship. There are some folks who just worship the Lord. They get into it. They love God. There's others who kind of hold it back a little bit. Waiting to see what's going to happen. Let me tell you what. You're missing out on what God desires for you. Amen. We can see it in our worship. God wants to be close to us. He wants us to be close to him. He wants us to enter into his presence because every single one of us in this place who named the name of Christ have that right. He's made that available to us. No strings attached. He wants to build our confidence and give us true hope, the scripture says. And God doesn't use his holiness as some, like a bouncer, you know, to keep us away from him. He actually wants to, to use his kindness and his holiness. He wants to transform us and he, avoid, he invites us to join into his holy presence for all of eternity. So instead of ignoring God's greatness, instead of standing away from his holiness, we need to accept his grace and to and an invitation he's made to us to come close to him. To accept him as God. He wants to be near us. He wants to dwell in us. And say amen. And the third, he had trust as judgment. This is another one we get it backwards sometimes. We get this wrong. When we think about God's judgment. When you think about God's judgment, we think about his wrath. But to really understand judgment... It's to understand his wisdom. And that's what we've been dealing with on Wednesday nights. We've been digging into the wisdom of God. We've been studying Jesus because the wisdom of God is Jesus. Amen. Wisdom is manifestation. Jesus is a manifestation of God's wisdom. And so when we deal with Proverbs, we're dealing with Christ, Jesus. It is through wisdom, the scripture says, that God created everything. It is through his wisdom that he understands everything. He knows everything Everything about you, about his creation, etc. He knows the best, the best for you in every single situation in your life. He knows the best for me. And, and if I if I'm going to trust God's judgment, it means that I realize that God is the one who is the ultimate judge of what is right and wrong. He understands, you know, what's helpful and what's healthy and what's unsafe in my life. He does. He's the one who determines what is good, what is bad. And his judgment is always right. Romans chapter 9, verse 20 says this, But who are you? Look what he says here. Oh man, to talk back to God. Show what is formed, say to him who has formed it, Why did you make me like this? Who in the world, what right do you have to second guess our God? Do you suppose for a moment, one moment, the scripture says that any of us can call God into question? Does the clay 
talk back to the fingers that are molding it? I don't think I like that right now, you know. It's the wrong shape. It's the wrong color. Why do you shape me like this, Lord? Sometimes we say that whenever we're going through a situation. Why, why, God? Why, why is this happening? He understands. He already knows what's best for you, the best solution for you. But he wants you to come to him that you might see life in that situation through his eyes. That's what he hopes. His plan is. He desires that. And wisdom is not just simply about helping us just for that moment. But he wants us to find wisdom for our life and hope for our life. He wants us that wisdom. He wants his wisdom to carry us far beyond our daily needs. And that's his plan. Because God's ultimate plan is to protect our families, protect our our lives forever from evil and, and the pain. I happen to like that plan. I think it's a pretty good one. But in order to do this, we have to, we have to be able to see that God is judge ultimately and He's going to destroy everything that doesn't meet His standard of perfection. That perfect standard. You know what? I need to be terrified of that. Because when I'm talking about the fact that we don't meet the perfect standard, you can be terrified of that, but understand, and God makes it very clear, His plan, His purpose, His desire, His objective is not to, to punish or destroy us. His plan and purpose has always been, as John 3.17 says, to what? But to save the world through Him. That's His purpose. That's the reason why the Scripture says Jesus came. Why God's wisdom was manifested through Christ, the Word made flesh to come and speak to us and to share with us that God Almighty wants to save us and restore the relationship that was lost in the garden. And anyone who's willing to, to accept His forgiveness and follow Him is saved. The Bible says, and you are saved. And that's a promise He makes you. You can take to the bank. And if you're saved, the Scripture says, then you've been made part of the family of God and you're special. Look the person inside and say, you're special. You're special. In a good way. (laughs) And because you're members of the family of God, you don't have to fear the judgment of God. He doesn't punish His children. Now the Scripture says He'll correct and He'll discipline His kids. Why? Because He loves us. Hebrews says this, Be patient when you're being corrected. This is how God treats His children. Don't all parents correct their kids? Hey, let me, you got a two-year-old, I don't know if it's a grandkid or if it's your own child, you got a two-year-old, and that little one has found out how they can open up the front door and go outside. They know how to figure it out. They figured it out. Kids are smart. Just one of my grandkids must take after me. Now, you've got to correct that child. You've got to train that child. You cannot do that. You cannot open up the front door and go out into the, into the yard. You can't do that. Why? Because there's dangers out there. You could die. It's not a good idea. Don't do that. You've got to correct them because you love them. Now, are they going to like being corrected? Absolutely not. You're going to do something to that doorknob so they, I don't know, electrify it or something so they don't take, so they don't go outside. And they're not going to like that. They're going to be ticked off at you. They're going to be mad. They're going to stamp their little feet there and blame all kinds of curses on you and all kinds of whatever because they want to go outside. That's what they want to do. 
They like opening the door. They like doing whatever they want to do. But they have no idea what's outside there, the danger that could be there. I want you to follow me in that. Whenever God, whenever we disobey our Lord, we unwittingly invite danger and problems into our lives. Anytime we make decisions based upon our experiences, our past, what other people might say or think, our gut desires and wants, listen to me, we're inviting danger and problems into our lives. And if you don't know, if you don't know what God says is right and wrong, then if you don't know what God's vision is and what God's view is of right and wrong, then you do not have the right perspective of who your God truly is. And you're missing out on a good, good plan for you. Proverbs 14, uh, 12 says this, For there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end what leads to death? Proverbs 3, 6 goes on to say, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll what? Make your paths straight. And we're not talking about knowledge him by saying, Oh Jesus, we know who you are, answer my request. That's not acknowledging him. You need to acknowledge his wisdom, his standard of right and wrong. Amen. The covenant. In your life. Why do you want this blessing? What are you looking for? You got this gift. You got this. Why do you want it? I had one preacher said he was having someone come up and they want to be healed. They want to be prayed for healing. They prayed over for healing. And the preacher looked right at him and said, Why do you want that? Why do you want healing? Why do you want to be healed? Well, I don't want, I don't want to be sick anymore, you know, and there's a lot of more life for me. And I wrong answer for him. That preacher was like, wrong answer. If you want healing, it ought to be to bring glory and honor unto God, that, to God that he might use you in a miraculous way and fulfill his call in your life. Not just so your life is a little bit better off or because you can live a little bit longer because of the kids or whatever. No, no, no. It's got to be about the kingdom of God. And sometimes our prayer requests focus on our needs and our wants. has got nothing to do with his kingdom but building up our kingdom. He said, I want you to acknowledge him in all your ways. If you do that, he'll make you pass straight. Trust in the judgment of God. Trust in the judgment of God. By doing that, you're accepting his wide protections in our lives. It's not some warrant, some, some you know, warden that wants to, wants to keep you escaping from him. He's your father, so trust him. So the question is, whose judgment are we going to trust? Our own, or are we going to trust the judgment of our God? And the fourth is, understand his timing. Listen, folks, there's a whole lot of horrible things that we endure in life in this life, this fallen world. And there's a lot of bad things in this world. Nothing really, when you come right down to it, nothing really good in this world when it comes to man being involved, etc. And in the midst of that, you could be wondering, where in the world are you? Why are you allowing this to continue, Lord? Why haven't you put a stop to this yet? And it's in those moments that we might have a real difficult to understand God's timing. Because it doesn't seem to be anything timing timely about what's going on here. But look what Psalms tells us. Psalms says, wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. Listen to me. Twice he says you need to wait for the Lord. So obviously, in between the first wait and the second wait, somebody was getting a little antsy. Wait! Wait! No. But the truth is, God's timing is always perfect. I may not feel that way. It's because you don't have the full picture. I don't have the full picture. We don't have the perspective that he has. He's got a bigger perspective. <laughs> Watching movies. 
We laughed last night because we were watching the movie. One came up that, you know, my wife will do the same thing. We get into a movie, and 10, 15 minutes into the movie, she's zonked out. She's, she's sleeping, and I'm stuck watching this Hallmark. And then it, it's all over. Because if I go to change it, it's all over. We're done. She never saw the end of it. And it's true. The next time it's on, she'll tape it over again because she didn't see it. Yeah, we already saw that. No, we didn't. And it's true. If you just wait 10, 15 minutes, it'll all be new to you because you didn't see it before. It's perfect. It was We cracked up because it's, we had that conversation all the time. So here you are. You sit down. You're watching a movie. And it starts off giving you some background, some character development, right? And it leads to this conflict, some problem, some tension. And right about then, you shut it off. You say, okay, that's enough. You walk away. That would be foolish, right? Because you're not done. You want to see. You're in the middle of the movie. You would like to see how it ends. You'd like to see how the plot is resolved, right? Well, it's the same thing with our God. He sees the big picture. He's working everything out for the best of our family. Second Peter says this. Lord's not slow concerning his promises, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but that everyone would come to there's that word repentance again. Turn about in thinking. Begin to see things his way. We think that God may be slow because things aren't happening the way that I expect. I've got a timeline, Lord. I'm not getting any younger here, Lord. My timeline comes in days and months and maybe in a few years. And God's timeline, it spans eternity. He's the one that's holding everything into balance. He's the one who sees the big picture. He's not necessarily going to make things happen right away. Why? Because the scripture goes on to say, for my thoughts... Talking about the Lord. Are not your thoughts, neither are your ways. My Lord's declares the Lord. Father's saying, I figured it all out. I created all things based on my wisdom. My standard of right and wrong. If this world would apply my wisdom, chaos would go away. There would be peace. If we would apply God's wisdom, His standard of right and wrong into our relationships and, and, and begin to pattern our relationships and the church, etc. into His standard of right and wrong, We'd have peace. We'd have worship. God Almighty, Spirit of God could work in a mighty way like never before. But we want God to give us the map, our map for life. Give me the map, Lord. Tell me where I am and where I got to go, and I'll take it from you. I'll figure it out. And if I run into some hard spots, then I'll call upon your name. But other than that, let me prove to you I can do this, Lord. He says, I don't want you to fix your eyes on the map. I want you to fix your eyes on me. Because the journey in life isn't about how much you can accomplish, how far you can go. The journey in life is about taking every step with Him. It's about following Him day by day. He wants us to put our trust in Him. Not what He gives you. Because if we put our trust in Him to give us stuff, then what's going to happen is we're going to worship the stuff. Instead of worshiping the giver. Amen? Number five, respect the strength. You need to respect the strength. That'll change. If we respect the strength, strength, it'll reshape our thinking. He is powerful. The scripture's clear. He is powerful. He is a place of safety and security. When, when, when I say respect the strength, we're talking about leaning on him for help. When I'm in trouble, when I'm not. When I have a need, when I don't have a need. I need him. Even when I think I'm doing great. Why? Because he's a strong. He's strong. He's strong. 
pick your string. <laughs> I got this one, God. I can carry it out. Like a little kid, you know, you're trying to mentor a little child and show them what to do. You got to get your hands. I, I can do it. Let me do it. I can do it. I can do it. You're clueless, kid. You have no idea what you're doing. But I, I got to do it. I got to do it. We do the same thing sometimes. I can do this, Lord. But you know, every point of our life, we've got to be ones who say, Lord, I need you. I invite your strength into my life. I need you, Lord, to be strong. Psalm 18, 2 says this. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock, whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is what? My stronghold. And that's what it means to respect the strength. I, I quit pretending that I can live any way that I want. And still love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul. That's foolishness. God said it's foolishness. You cannot live like you want and think for a moment that you can do that and still love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. It's impossible. Look at Romans chapter 2. I'm to the message because I just like the way that it was wording these things. You don't think, you didn't think, did you, that just by pointing your finger at others that you would somehow distract God from seeing all your misdoings and from coming down on you hard? Or did you think that because he's such a nice God that he would let you off the hook? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind, but he's not soft. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a what? I love this. Radical life change. And that's what salvation should be. That's what our walk with Christ should be. A radical a radical life change. Does that mean that some folks are going to be put off? Yeah, maybe so. It's okay. We're going to do it in Christ Jesus. We're going to do it as the Lord. Don't you think that Jesus was a radical when it came to the Pharisees and the scribes and their teaching? He did it by grace. He had a desire and the power and the anointing to touch people's lives. He wanted to do that. He would condemn and draw out those that were religious in nature, but those who were being led, he would love them and teach them and share with them. Sometimes the scriptures say, some, you think you've got such a nice God that somehow he's going to let you off the hook. He's saying, but you better rethink that thing, right? God's kind, but he's not soft. That radical change he's looking for. That, there's that word, radical change. There's that word of repentance again. His kindness, notice this, it's not his judgment, but his kindness that leads us to repentance. And if you're waiting for God to bring some light, lightning bolts out of the sky before you'll change, you need to rethink your view of God because God moves in kindness to lead you to repentance and transformation, transformation and change. And if you reject God's kindness, then God can't transform or change you because you don't have peace. You, you're fearful. Kindness leads to repentance. He's kindly, he's, he's patiently, lovingly leading us towards a, a change in life. I thought about electricity. How many like working with electricity? Not a whole lot of people do. You've got to respect electricity. Let me tell you something. It is really good for us. It is, let me tell you, it's kind to us. It brings us light, right? It gives us heat, runs all of our little devices. But you've got to show some respect to its strength. Right? Now, there's been times in my life where I've looked at electricity and I've tried to change an outlet without turning the power off. I get lazy sometimes. I figure if I'm working, I cross the two wires, it'll, it'll pop the breaker. And I'm going to have to go all the way downstairs. Sometimes a little more zolt than you think. And this is going to happen. So, we have to 
we, we appreciate and we love the benefits of electricity. But always remind, be reminded that you need to respect its strength. If not, you're going to get a jolt. You're going to get a spark. We need to remind ourselves. And God says, understand, I love you and I care about you, but you need to re respect my strength. Even though it leads you in kindness, yeah, through kindness and in patience, but remember, respect my strength. Amen? And number six, this is probably the, the secret. The real secret of, of being transformed is to enjoy His presence. And we all don't enjoy His presence. Not like we should. And I say we can see it in our worship. We can see in the way we approach the Word of God the joy we have day by day. We can see it there. Let me tell you something. God wants you to enjoy being with Him. He enjoys being with you. God has so much to offer us. And that's why we can enjoy being with Him. Psalm 16, 11 says this, You have made me known. You have made known to me, to me the paths of life. You will fill my life with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Where do we experience the joy of the Lord, which is our strength? Where, folks? In His presence. Let me tell you something. This church is just not about, understand, this church is just not about gathering together, listen to some message, have a comedy night and visit, you know, have a good time of whatever. Listen, it's about developing a relationship with our God so we enjoy His presence. We experienced that a little while ago at the end of worship. We just begin to worship the Lord, just praising Him. That is the sign. God wants us to experience that. Because in that is great strength. That's the kind of joy the Lord wants to give us. It's through His presence. Because He wants to be closer to us. You have made you have made known to me the paths of life. You have filled, filled me with joy in your presence. Eternal pleasures of your right hand. He doesn't want us just simply to recognize. He wants to enjoy us to enjoy him. You know what? Oh, God will move it. You know, did, did he move in your life? Were you able to worship the Lord? Were you able to praise him? Are you able to? I have set the Lord always before me, David said. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I'll not be shaken. That passage of Scripture is a verse of Scripture that brings great comfort and joy. But think about that. It's conforming, it's comforting, but it's also trans and terrifying in some way. It's great to know. It's comforting to know that the Lord is right here beside me. And then we say, well, oh, wait a minute. I don't know if it was that's a good idea because maybe last week if I think back, maybe it wouldn't have been so good. It wasn't so good that God was right there beside me. Maybe I said something or did something that, you know, I hope he kind of was looking the other way. Sometimes we struggle with this idea of God being so close to us because of the things we've done maybe we wish we hadn't done. So there are times when we talk about being in the presence of our God, we feel really uncomfortable about that. The presence of His greatness. We get afraid of that. And so we don't know where it's going to go. If I get involved with worshiping the Lord and praising Him, what's, what's going to happen? Let's back off a little bit. Let's wait a little bit. Well, you know what? You're not the only one because Isaiah ran into the same thing. 
Look at what happened to him when he fell. Here he, here he is, the reaction of the prophet of old. He encounters the presence of the Lord. When he first encountered the presence of God, how did he react? He said, woes to me. I am unruined. I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I have lived among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of Holy. Listen, he's almighty God. Wow. See, because being in God's presence, God's perfection shows our own imperfections. And sometimes that's the reason why we just want to lay back a little bit. Because we don't really want to know it completely. We're afraid. I don't want to go to church service and have worship time and then go home with, <laughs> have to leave with homework. Things I must do and look at. Have you ever seen one of those magnifying mirrors? You know, they just magnify everything. <laughs> I look bad enough in a regular mirror. When you get in those magnifying mirrors, you know, and sometimes that's the way people we feel like in the presence of our God. We, you know, we feel about our, bad about ourselves already. But then when we're in the sense of in the presence of our God, whoo, who is perfect, <laughs> is holy, we feel worse about ourselves. But the bottom line is God wants us to enjoy being in his presence. That's his desire. He wants us to be, as the psalmist says, as a deer pants for the streams of water. So my soul, David said, pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the Lord, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Now we know David didn't do everything right in his life. There are some things he ought to have been ashamed of. But he understood who his Redeemer was. He understood God's everlasting love. He understood that. And he cried out to God. And even though he had sinned in great way, what did he do? Lord, forgive me. Lord, let, I, let, me, let your grace and mercy touch my life that I might teach sinners their way. Use my Redeemer. His desire was to be in the presence of God like a deer pants after the streams of water. His desire was he was thirsting for God. And my question then is, what does our soul actually thirst for? David said, my soul thirsts for God. David's soul wasn't searching for rest. It wasn't searching for joy or peace or significance or strength. It's interesting too because when we talk about rest and joy and peace, significance and strength, those are all things that God will give you. All things that give you. If you seek Him. So when you say, my soul is thirsty for these things, what you're actually doing is you're actually, your soul is actually thirsty for the Lord. When you say, I I'm searching, I'm looking for rest and joy and peace and significance, what your soul is saying to you is, you're thirsting for God. You're thirsting for a relationship with Him. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of, that makes you a slave again to fear, but you have received the spirit of what? Sonship, sonship by which we, what we call him Abba Father, Daddy Father. That is the most intimate call and discussion and name that you can name your dad. Jesus is reminding us the kind of relationship we're to have with his Father. I've said this before, you understand the Bible is not a history book, even though there's a lot of history in it. But it's not a history book. It is a love letter to each one of us. It's God's love letter, love letter to you. Let me tell you something. If you're scrounging around and you pick up someone's love letter, but it's not to you, I mean, you read it, put it aside. But if that a letter was written to you from someone who loves you, you're going to dive into that thing, you know, and you're just going to read it and look at it, and you know, and cherish it, right? When you have a relationship with the one who writes it, then you understand that love letter, right? Because it's written to you and you're going to pour over it. 
the truth be known, God Almighty has given you a love letter written to you. He wants you to pour over it. He's revealing to you how He loves you and how He relates to you. So that in the Spirit you can say, would you say, Jesus, open up my mind, Lord. Open my mind, Lord. I, I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to hear you. I, to, I have that right to come into your presence, Lord. As I am. Let His kindness draw us. I want to end with this verse of Scripture. Go full circle. The verse we started with, we ended. Great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise. For His greatness, His greatness, no one can fathom. We're going to close the service now. It's time to pray. And I really hope and pray that we would come together. And, and, and maybe for the very first time we would say, you know, Lord, I'm going to trust you better than I have yesterday. Deeper way. And Father, I'm going to accept that everlasting love that you have for me. I haven't in the past. I'm going to. I've accepted you as Savior. Wonderful. But Lord, I'm going to accept your everlasting love for me. I'm going to appreciate your awesome holiness. And then I'm going to begin to trust your judgment because as I see your wisdom, I understand your judgment. You're always right. And I understand your timing is always perfect. Oftentimes, you're waiting, Lord, for my character to be developed. You're waiting for me, Lord, to grow a little bit before that blessing can come. And so I'm going to trust you. I trust you. I'm going to trust you. And your strength, I respect that. And I, I want more of your strength. I want to learn how I can enjoy not only your strength, but your presence, Lord. Let me no longer be inhibited when it comes to the issue of worship and of praise, but to acknowledge you, Lord God. And thank you for loving me. For loving me just the way I am, but I know that I'm not going to stay this way. You're going to be transforming and changing me. And I look forward to that. I look forward to that discipline and that discipling that's going to go on in my life because, praise God, it's going to bring everything that I need in my life for your glory and for your honor. Can you do that? Folks, you come together and just play a little bit. And then we'll end. Is that okay? God is good? Praise His name. The great I am. Amen. Loves you and cares for you in a mighty way. We need to reshape our thinking of our God. We need to do that. Amen. It will transform our lives. Amen and amen. Father, we want to thank you again for the word this morning. As you continue to lead and direct us, Lord God, you're drawing us closer unto you. That we truly can be a place, a heart of a house of worship and of praise, giving you the glory, Lord God, in all things. And then, Father, the experience we have here in the service and the church as we gather together, that'll begin to, well, it'll flood wherever we begin to go. And the light that we receive here, the truth that we see here, will begin to permeate our homes, Lord, our places of business, our work, relationships across the board, and you will be exalted above all. Holy Spirit, I pray your work through our lives that others might recognize your kindness in our life and your love, your grace, your mercy. Yes, we understand, Lord, that you are a God that judges. But now we begin to see that your judgment is based upon your wisdom. And that changes everything. It's about bringing us closer to you, being transformed, to experience all you would have us to be, to enjoy that love, that strength, that peace, the joy that you, which only comes from you and your presence. Touch and strengthen as always you do. 
leave this place different than you have come. Spend our time this coming week in your presence, seeking for more and more of you, Lord, knowing we have a right to enter into your presence, not because of anything we have done, but because of the provision you have made, and you called us to come into your presence. We love you much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Folks, you're dismissed.